This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So virtually no consumer today is immune to taking on some form of debt, whether it's a mortgage, student loan, you've got, or maybe you have one of those in your family where you've got a student, or just the credit card. Uh, getting credit uh, and as a result having debt uh, pretty much a fact of life. Yeah. What I guess what people aren't always aware of that not all types of debt are worth having. I mean, is that yeah. does that make sense? Well, you know, the way I would describe it is debt is more or less it's a tool. You know, in some ways it's like fire. Fire is great when it works for you when you're using it constructively, but if your house is on fire, gee, fire is <laughs> not so great anymore. Fair so, enough. A useful servant, but a lethal master, and that's exactly what debt is. And we never want to get into a, a situation where we say all debt is bad. It's not the case. Sometimes debt can be very good for us, but there's definitely different categories of debt. So what I wanted to talk about today, Elaine, was let's really segment debt into you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you've used that term before. Yeah. So if someone's listening and they've got you know some, some various types of debt and they're wondering where they fit, you know, let's, let's classify a couple of things today and then let's talk about what you can do about it. Okay. So let's, let's start with the good news that, which is where I always like to start with yeah. good forms or, or the good debt that we can have. Yeah. So essentially good debt. Uh, the principle here is that you're paying money for something, but there's some overall benefit there. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to have more than what you started with. Essentially, it's going to be an investment. The best example of this is something like a mortgage. So a mortgage is usually good debt because it's a forced saving program. So instead of paying rent every month, you're paying you know, down a mortgage that eventually over time will ideally go to zero, and then you'll still have an asset there at the end of the day. So the good part of it is you'll pay the debt down, you'll still have some value, and ideally that asset has appreciated, so it's going to be greater than what you actually paid in the debt. Now, where this can go bad is there's often, oh, almost always two sides to every coin here, is it's great if you've got the house and you've got the mortgage and you're paying it down, but my God, how attractive it can be to get a home equity line of credit, um, mm. especially in the lower mainland. Right. The amount of folks I've had come in to see me, you know, sometimes it's senior citizen couples where there's no reason why they should be in my office as we essentially, you know, go through the analysis. They bought their house for $30,000 in 1980. Mm -hmm. And when I say, well, what's the house worth now? You know, it's worth $1,500,000. Five, one million seven, and what's your mortgage on that? It's about one million five, one million seven. Yikes! So they have progressively pulled out the equity again and again to the point that this is no longer good debt. They still owe a bunch of money on an asset that's worth about the same. So they've essentially um, taken away their their future appreciation just by consistently renegotiating or pulling out home equity lines of credit. So those types of products, home equity lines of credit, have set record levels this past couple of years in Canada. Literally everybody is doing. It, your neighbor's probably doing it. If you're in that situation, try not to do it. Is it so? It's never a good idea to do that, then. Not never, but you know, it's obviously never a good idea to use up all of your equity in home equity sure, lines I understand of credit. That. There, and, you know, sometimes it makes sense, but you know, a lot of the reasons why people are doing this, you know, they don't always make financial sense. So there's a lot of research that would say if you pull, you know, fifty thousand dollars out to do a renovation of your house, you might think you're going to bump up the sale price by that, but typically not because the 
the person who's purchasing the house, they're not going to value the renovations the same way you did. They're not going to have the same taste profile as you do. So quite often you think you're increasing value and investing, but you know, you're consuming, you're making something that you will enjoy, but it might not be there in the long term. So what's the piece of advice around that? Like what's the process or the, the, the thinking that I should do before I, I, I mean, even think about a renovation on a, yeah. on, a ma- on my biggest major asset that I have. Yeah, you know, renovation is one thing, but I think the more insidious thing is just this constant just leakage on a monthly basis where Fair people enough. are spending more than what they owe. Yeah. And then what I see, you know, roughly every five years, they'll renegotiate the mortgage and they'll take all the credit card debt that they've accumulated and they'll just roll that into the mortgage, you I know, pull, pull out the equity in that manner. So, you know, if it's for a specific project and you've really thought it through, you know, it might not be a bad idea. Right. But what's it's just too easy to pull out the equity to avoid dealing with a monthly budgetary problem. You know, if you're spending more than what you're taking in every month, you know, if you understand, well, you're just drawing down your house equity, that's one thing. But the amount of folks I sit down with who just had no idea they were actually overspending and they just progressively drew, drew down their equity over time. Wow. Uh, and we've been inundated with that message that, oh, yeah. it's, a, that it's easy and it's um, beneficial and it's a good idea. Oh, yeah. If you wow. own your home, we can get you a loan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> All those dear. various slogans that oh, are out there. You know, there's oh, someone dear. making money there and it's not the homeowner. And it's not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about student loans? I would, I mean, I'm sort of torn about student loans sometimes, but I guess it's a good debt? Typically, it's a good debt because, again, you're investing in an asset. You're investing in yourself. And the whole idea here is you're going to end up with a greater earning capacity than you would otherwise have if you hadn't taken the student loan. Now, it's hugely important that you actually do the analysis and figure out if I'm going to spend, you know, $60,000 for a four-year, you know, general arts degree, that's great. I will definitely learn how to learn. But am I going to step into an immediate, you know, middle-class type of income that's going to allow me to pay that student loan down quickly? Probably not. Not. Yeah, so you really need to take stock of, you know, what are my future employment prospects and really gauge the amount of student funding you're going to take based on that. Just because they will loan you some maximum amount doesn't mean you should necessarily take it. Every dollar needs to get paid back. And one thing that I've noticed, too, in terms of a trend for students or for new employees is that it takes more than one degree to get in the door these days. It it didn't used to be like that, Mm -hmm. but it certainly is like that now. Yeah, and that's something to, to watch out for too. A lot of the, a lot of student debt that I see, sometimes it's for professional or, you know, non-university or college types of programs, and some of them are very, very good. Some of them aren't. I have people, you know, tell me they advertise, you know, certain prospects for employment. As soon as I got into the program and had paid the money, I quickly found out, well, there's no prospects for employment. Yeah. But the school made money, and at the end of the day, the person's left with the debt. So be very careful. I would say talk to recent graduates, look at job postings, make sure it's very clear that you'll be able to satisfy whatever whatever good debt, student debt you get yourself into. And massive student loan debt is, I mean, it's significant. It's shocking when you yeah. start researching a little bit and see what young people are uh, burdened with oh, yeah. coming be- out with nothing. I believe it's the next great bubble that we're going to face. And the U.S., unfortunately, is even worse than us, but it's, it's a very significant problem. Wow. Um, any other steps that we should take uh, when you're talking about student loan? I know um, we've talked to people in the show in the past about if you can earn money mm-hmm. while you're going to school, that yeah. will lessen the impact. Is there any other things that we can do to or, or keep in mind if we're supporting somebody going back to school or going to school for the first mm-hmm. time? Yeah, definitely trying to get, you know, part-time work or tutoring or things like that. That's, that's definitely going to be helpful. But, you know, another thing is really 
really making sure to taking advantage of everything that's available to you. So I remember when I went to school at York University, um, there were bursaries that no one applied for for years, mm. you know? And if you went through, you know, you figured out here's the criteria, here's the application process. If you figured that out, you were actually able to get some money. And I know that exists at various universities. There's a lot of bursaries, a lot of scholarships that sometimes they just don't go awarded every year. So yeah. make, make sure you're aware of what potentially could help you. That's a really good point. Even the, the uh, smaller schools like the BCITs, um, and they're very specific. If you're in that area, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be the business school or the, you know, whatever schools there are, um, there is money there. There yeah. are bursaries and scholarships from businesses or companies that do that kind of work that want to support somebody who may not be uh, financially viable to, to go into it on their own. Mm-hmm. That's a really good really good idea. Yeah. Uh, what about bad debt? Yeah, so bad debt, this is you know what most people would logically conclude is not a good thing, is where you've spent the money already, there's no future benefit, nothing good is going to come of this. So the classic example here is credit card debt. Mm-hmm. So just about everybody that I sit across from when they're just explaining to me their debt situation, you know, if I were to ask them, well, what do you have to show for that $20,000 on the Capital One MasterCard? Nothing. What do you have to show for the 15K on American Express? Nothing. It's all basically money that was spent on consumption. It was necessary at the time, but it didn't actually provide any long-term benefit. And it's just this weight around our neck. It's weighing us down. It's something that's taking our current earning capacity and constraining us for doing something that we want to do because we've got to pay this cost of what we incurred in the past. Is there a, a bit of advice or a tip that you could give us if that if that looks like where we're headed, what to do? Like, do we cut up our cards or? Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know. Yeah. First thing is to figure out how bad is the problem. Okay. You know, if you've overspent on a credit card that's $1,000, you're not too bad. If you're facing, you know, twenty or $30,000 of credit card debt, I would submit that you need some professional help to get out from that because the challenge here is that the interest is going to work against you in ways that you never thought possible. Yeah. So, you know, we all love, or some of us would love to invest. And if you ever heard you'd be able to invest and get 20 to 24% return every year, you'd say that's a scam. It never happens that way. You could never guarantee those returns you are paying that on your credit cards every single year, probably 20 to sometimes 29% per year. So you got to get yourself off of that, that trap, that hamster wheel of just paying interest on old credit card debt. The way you can do that is by sitting down with a trustee such as myself. And figure it out. Yeah. And let's go to the ugly, the ugly debt. Yeah, the ugly debt, um, you know, these are things where debt's been incurred typically as a last resort, and there can be some severe, some immediate consequences if you don't deal with it. So starting with the severe or immediate consequences, if you owe the government money, almost always that's ugly debt. Things like um, unpaid taxes, unpaid GST if you're self-employed, unpaid source deductions if you have employees, nothing will shut you down quicker than CRA showing up and saying, I'm seizing your bank account, I'm going to your customers, I'm going to take any money that they owe to you. The government can do that with very little notice to yourself. So if you find yourself with significant government debt, sooner rather than later, you'd want to get some advice to understand what you might be facing and how you can hold the government at bay. Because like with many things, facing it head on, being a reasonable person, trying to arrange a payment plan, that's going to stop them from taking really severe actions against you. But ignoring the problem, getting very confrontational with CRA over the phone or just hiding. Doesn't work. Never works. (laughs) Never works. Never worked once, right? Not once. All right. And finally, in this segment, what are some of the things that we can do to evaluate our own debt 
categories? Yeah, so as we said a, a bunch of times, you'd want to take stock of the situation. So, so much of this is just getting a single sheet of paper and saying, here's what I owe. And, you know, one of those tools can be to put it into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, here's what I owe. The good debt, the mortgage, I'm able to keep up on this. I'm not pulling out the equity. The student loan, okay, I'm, I'm able to keep up on the payments, but the big challenge that I've got is the bad and the ugly debt. I've got some credit card debt. I've got some student loans. I might even have some payday loans. Um, So you'd want to sit down with a professional to understand what your options are, because sometimes people think if you restructure one part of your debt, you lose the good part. So people might think if you've got a mortgage, you can't do a consumer proposal or you can't do a bankruptcy or you lose the house. Absolutely not true. You could do a consumer proposal and keep the house. And if you had to go into a bankruptcy, you would often keep the house as well. And that's where you come in. That's where Sands and Associates can come in so beautifully because you sit down, you're free, you get your first hour free or your consultation free. And you can say, look, this is my situation. This, 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 and this, and this. These are my burdens. These are my debts. What do I do? Yeah, and if it's a case that the right solution is that you just need a little bit of coaching, some budgetary help, maybe we connect you to a professional that can help you, but you don't need the help from Sands and Associates, that's a victory for us too. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands and Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands and Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. One of the key pieces that is so beneficial for so many folks is filing what's called a consumer proposal when that debt is overwhelming. Let's talk about how the consumer proposal process works, Blair. And let's start with like just a very basic overview. Yeah, so what a consumer proposal is, is I consider it the most powerful but less least well-known ability to restructure your finances. So in a nutshell, a consumer proposal will consolidate all your debts. They'll put everything together and you have one payment that you need to make, but two really big improvements. So it will stop all future interest charges. So the debts stop moving away from you and it reduces the amount you owe down to what you can afford. So in most cases, people pay back 30 to 50% of the debt that's outstanding with no further interest charges, no administrative fees, and they avoid filing for a bankruptcy. So it's an alternative to throwing up your hands and filing for bankruptcy. It's a compromise that allows you to restructure things down to one simple payment you make each month that's a better result for everybody involved. So I've come to you guys. I've got a, I've, I've got a, a big debt that I want to get a hold of and deal with once and for all. I'm totally interested in the consumer proposal, doing one of those. How, how do we start that? So everything starts with an initial consultation. So we sit down in one of our 15 offices, we meet face-to-face, and we review the entire situation. So we try to understand three big categories of information. So we want to understand what are the debts. So is there a mortgage? Is there a car loan, income taxes, student loans, MasterCard, Visa, all those different types of debts we want to know in detail. And are you up to date on them? Are you missing payments? Is it your priority you know, to make the mortgage payment so you can keep the house? And is that compromising your ability to pay all the other debts? So we go into 
the detail on all of the debts. Uh, then we kind of turn the page and we say, well, what are the assets? You know, are there certain things that you really need to protect? Are there RESP savings for the kids? Um, you know, is there a vehicle? Um, are there RRSPs? Is there pension plans? We want to understand all the assets as well and see what's the, the meshing. Is there, you know, more assets than debt? Or usually quite often there's very few assets and quite a bit of debt. So that's a situation where a proposal makes a whole lot of sense. Then we want to look towards the household budget. So we want to understand what's the income from every member of the household. Um, how stable is that income? Is it you know, full-time T4 employment? Is it very seasonal, self-employed? That's going to matter depending on the types of options that are available to the person. So in the space of 45 minutes to an hour, we'll do an in-depth assessment of you know those three categories. And then we'll go into depth about what are the options that are available to you. You know, We'll talk about a bankruptcy. We'll talk about trying to pay everything off in full. Um, but for many people, it consumer proposal is a hugely attractive option um, because it avoids the bankruptcy and it gives you a payment that you can afford. And I want to just reiterate that that's part of your first, your hour consultation, your first free hour consultation when you walk in the door. So we've decided I'm going to go with a consumer proposal. What do I, what do we do then? Yeah. So after the, the first meeting, so the first meeting you would walk out saying, okay, I know what my proposal payment will be. I know the information I have to give to my trustee to prepare the proposal and I've got some thinking to do. So generally we have a second meeting, you know, either a few days or maybe a week after the first meeting and we sit down, we review everything again. We say, okay, you've got all the proof of the debts now. You've shown me your taxes. This is the proposal that you want to do. Yep, everything's good. We'll answer the questions and then we'll go through and we'll sign proposal documents. From the day we sign the proposal documents, the individual is fully protected. No more collection calls, no more collection activities, no court actions, nothing else can happen other than the creditors have to consider the proposal that person has made. So let's say, for example, and this is, you know, numbers we deal with all the time, um, if it's a $30,000 amount of debt, then we're offering a proposal for $10,000, for example, we'll put that proposal out to the creditors and we'll say, you know, it's $166 a month over 60 months. And then the creditors will vote to accept or reject that proposal. And I think this is an interesting point. We, you don't have to have 100% of your creditors on side. You just need 50% of the value, which I think is really an important piece. Elaine, you're sounding like an expert here. I love it. And, and, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. get this, I tell yeah. you. No, and that, that's a hugely important piece there too, because if you've got one creditor, whether it's a personal creditor or maybe it's even the government that's yelling and screaming and say, hey, no way, no how will I ever accept any penny less than what you owe me, unless they've got 50% of your debt, They've got to go along for the ride in a consumer proposal. All we need is 50% by dollar value to say yes. So what happens when you file the proposal is there's a voting period. So there's 45 days from the day you sign the proposal where you don't make any payments and nothing can happen to you. All your creditors can do is decide, are they going to accept the proposal? Are they going to reject the proposal? Or are they going to counter offer? And if you can believe it, 95% of the time, they accept the proposal that you make. They're willing to accept 30%, 40%, 20% of the debt because the alternative, if they reject the proposal, is quite often the person will file for bankruptcy and they end up with nothing. Right. And the, and this whole proposal gets registered as well, which I think is an important piece. I mean, that's that's where that's where the benefit mm-hmm. of dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee. Exactly. So when you do a consumer proposal, it's under the authority of federal law, and the trustee has the again the authority to register the proposal to make it legally binding on all of your creditors. So there's nobody that can opt out and say they weren't informed or they don't want to participate. Federal law takes precedence over everything. Again, whether it's MSP taxes and uh, 
student loans or whatever, a consumer proposal can deal with everything. Now, there's also some nice counseling, and I say nice because I mm-hmm. just think it's such a benefit, counseling sessions that get attached to this process that when once you enter it. Yeah, so the government requires, and definitely we endorse this as, as trustees, that you get some counseling as you go through a consumer proposal. So it's more than just, you know, you're reducing the debt and that's that, and, you know, please don't do it again. Um, it's a case of we really want to dig in to understand, you know, what are the circumstances, financial and non-financial, that might have led to this situation. And that's really the focus of the first counseling session. And then we want to give you the tools during that session, you know, from a household budgeting point of view, to live within your means each month, to know when the warning signs are happening, to do a course correction now rather than you know three years from now when the debts might have accumulated so you know one of the counseling sessions is all about giving you the tools and understanding what got you here the second counseling session is all about your future so how are you going to rebuild your credit how are you going to make sure when all these offers of credit happen are going to be offered to you in the future that you're responsible that you know you know how to do things right in the future so it's one time you have to do a proposal right because those other institutions are not going to let up they still want your money they still want you to hold their credit card they still want you to buy this this and this and it's so easy to purchase these days and of course that's not going to stop yeah if you think and this is a big you know fear that people have that if you're going to be untouchable because you've done a consumer proposal and there's a credit rating impact, or even if you've done a bankruptcy, you're untouchable. My God, the opposite is the case. The number of people I have coming through my door who have done a bankruptcy in the past or a proposal in the past and have managed to get into trouble again, yeah. <laughs> it happens. So, you know, and that's just the bad side of it, but many people are able to incur debt, no problem, incur mortgages again. It's not a life sentence just because you have to restructure your debts once. Right. And that's a really good point because sometimes folks think that, oh, you know, once I'm I'm done this, I'm clear and free. But no, if you haven't addressed kind of the things that got you into trouble or got you into this pickle to begin with, mm-hmm. then you haven't really resolved it. You may have paid off the debt, but boy, oh boy, that uh, whatever it is that that uh, that lets it makes you spend your money or or gets you excited investing in uh, is still going to be coming at you. Yeah. Very good. So here's the deal. If there's some pieces of what we've been talking about in this segment that really resonate with you, that you think, oh boy, maybe I should take a look at this, take a look at my situation seriously. Maybe I need a third party or or another party to to help me look at uh, where I am in terms of my budget and how I'm managing things when I I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed uh, with people wanting me to pay them back or the the creditors. Uh, Sans dash-trustee.com is the website. You can book your free consultation. It's very painless. It'll probably be incredibly enlightening uh, that you could never expect it to be as good as it's going to be in terms of understanding where you are right now and uh, give you an opportunity to start living that debt-free life. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands and Associates experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, Go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to take some time right now to talk to uh, uh, a client of Sands and Associates, uh, Blair's uh, Blair's good buddy Bill. Yeah. So so thank you for joining us today, Bill. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and Bill, you've been a client of the firm. We were we were just discussing that you know it was basically two two years from the day you reached out to us until today, and it's been you know in, in your words a, a bit of an incredible journey, a turnaround here. Um, definitely, that's the purpose of today is to give you a chance you know to share the experience that you've been to with the idea that it's going to help others who might be in a similar situation and are just scared to reach out for help. Wonderful. So I wonder if we could start, Bill, just, you know, open-ended. Could you tell us about the situation, you know, what you were facing when you reached out to us? Sure. Um, A few years uh, prior to my first contact with Sands, I was involved in a a recreational hockey accident where I was uh, hit from behind by uh, somebody playing ice hockey. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was in a lot of trouble, and I had my first spinal cord surgery uh, that night. Wow. And I had my second spinal cord surgery uh, approximately six months later, and I um, just uh, everything kind of downworld spiraled from there. I was never had any problem paying my bills uh, pre- prior to that. I had a fantastic credit score and beacon score, and uh, as you can imagine, when you uh, have uh, those kind of surgeries and you're off work as long as I was, um, things happen. How old were you at that time, Bill? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a good question. So we're going to go back uh, 45 years old, I guess. Okay, so you were out, I think you were telling me, Friday night recreational hockey game in front of the net, and suddenly your, your whole life changes with a cross-check, right? Yeah, I wish I was in front of the net. If I was in front of the net, it wouldn't have been so bad. I was actually in the corner oh, God. Uh, playing for the puck, and uh, somebody decided they were going to cross-check me from behind head first, and that was it. Bill, how long did it take you uh, before you realized you needed some guidance and some help with this? Uh, how long did it take before you reached out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Too long. I wish uh, that uh, the, the answer to that question is I waited almost three years to call Sounds and Associates because I was always that guy that wanted to pay these bills and I was always embarrassed and just wanted to do everything the right way uh, or what I thought was the right way. And uh, as it turns out, I was doing it wrong the entire time. So uh, three years after the accident, I finally was in such a bad place that I called John Manson at Sam's, and uh, the rest is history. Can I ask, Bill, what were the things that you did in those three years that you're probably being way too hard on yourself about, mm-hmm. but what, what were the kinds of things that you were doing to sort of stay above water? The paying everything, paying uh, Paying my bills, paying the interest on those uh, on those uh, credit cards and the debt, um, pawning stuff, mm. um, borrowing money from family and friends. It mm. was uh, it was very tough, and uh, things that uh, that in retrospect I should have never done. Right, but you did the very best you could with what you had at the time, and I I, I hate I don't like hearing somebody be so hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you reached out, and things turned around pretty quickly. Or can you talk about that process? Things changed instantly. I never received one more phone call from anybody I owed money to the moment that I signed the papers with the mm-hmm. with Sounds and Associates. Uh, the process was so easy, and I was well informed of uh, what was going to happen. And uh, everything that I was told uh, happened exactly as planned. So, Bill, you, you mentioned John in our Surrey office, and, you know, definitely John's an excellent in, in terms of client service. Can you tell me a bit about, you know, your initial contact, you know, because people get very scared of that first meeting. Are they going to walk in to, to feel judged to someone who's going to examine in minute detail all of their their mistakes? Mm-hmm. Can you tell, tell us about that initial consultation with John? Well, that's almost like you just described me because I, I walked in thinking I was going to be judged or somebody was going to think that all of the debt was entirely my fault. 
Um, and uh, John was the complete opposite of that. He uh, listened to my story, and he uh, asked the right questions. And uh, in a matter of uh, a few days, uh, the process was in place, and the papers were signed to uh, to get the process started. Right. And, and what did you actually file, Bill? Are you comfortable sharing a bit of the details there? Absolutely. Yeah. I did a proposal. Mm-hmm. So uh, John gave me the differences, uh, told me the differences between a bankruptcy and a proposal, and told me what his suggestions were of what uh, suited me best. And uh, after thinking about it for a day, I, I agreed with him. And um, he told me exactly what was going to happen in the process, uh, how it was going to take place. And I just signed the papers, and the rest was in his hands. And uh, um, exactly as promised, I never received one more phone call, one more letter, one more bill. I never received uh, anything. What was the thing jo- that uh, that surprised you the most about the process, Bill? How easy it was. Mm. I wish I would have done it uh, back in 2012. Uh, to, to think that I waited three years to uh, have that burden released from me and that weight off my shoulders and my back, I was. Uh, I just felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. Right. And Bill, those words are just echoed with so many of the clients I I see day after day. You know, we we take this so personal into our own character and we we judge ourselves about it there. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder, Bill, you know, from someone, if they're not familiar about a consumer proposal, you know, I explained it in a very technical trustee way. You know, from your perspective, what did the proposal do for you? What was your your life before? Um, You told us, you know, the, the calls and all that stopped. But, you know, in most cases with the proposal, the debt is significantly reduced and you don't pay the interest. So I'm curious of the arrangement that was able to be worked out. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the exact numbers. It's so long ago now, but uh, whatever whatever it was, uh, it was immediately, I felt like every single month all I was paying was interest on all of the credit cards and all of the debt. It instantly became one single payment that was completely manageable and was not something that had me worried and keeping me up at night. Um, I knew that the payment, the one single payment, the negotiated uh, payment was going to come out at a certain day of the month. It was paid to SANS, and SANS took care of everything, and it was so easy. Yeah, and, and Bill, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you describe the proposal payment that way. You don't remember how much it was or what you saved, but you remember that it fit into your budget. And that's, you know, very core when a, when a trustee does a consumer proposal. We have to make sure this is going to fit in the person's budget. They're going to be able to perform it. It's in everyone's best interest here. So, and I find when I sit down with folks, if we add up what they're paying in interest each month, almost every case, the proposal is a lower payment than what they're actually already paying. And the proposal has an end date. You're going to be done this in, you know, three, four, five years at the most. Whereas if you're paying interest, you're probably on the never-never plan. And you may never right. pay it off, right? Exactly. And I can't believe how fast uh, time has gone by so quickly. Uh, we're only a few years into it now, and uh, the um, I've only got a couple of years left until I'm completely released of uh, of the um, what's the word I'm looking for that uh, my my obligation. Mm-hmm. To, to sense, and then I will be completely whole. But so much has changed in that two years. I'm already in a much better place and much better off than I was uh, the very first day that I, I met John. Bill, can you talk about uh, the kind of new habits or attitude that you have that you didn't have before when it comes to your finances? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm saving money. <laughs> I've got uh, money in the bank, and uh, I've got them um, going on vacation uh, next month going down to Mexico for a week, and uh, that's just uh, would have been unheard of uh, a few short years ago. And it must feel very um, that you're doing things with ease 
as opposed to with anxiety now? I'm doing things uh, that I've that uh, within uh, common sense and reason. I'm doing things that I want to do, and I'm still just keeping in mind that I have obligations uh, to uh, to take care of from Sands and. I'm getting my credit back mm-hmm. for the first time in years. Um, my credit score is rising again. And uh, if if, uh, if you don't mind, can I entertain you with a, just a quick story about a credit card very quickly? Yeah, Bill, I was actually going to ask you that, that question just as next. So it's, so it's perfect because, you know, when people come in to talk about a proposal and definitely for a bankruptcy, they come to the conclusion before they walk in the door that they'll never get credit again, right. that they're going to be, you know, destroyed on a, on a long-term basis. Um, and, you know, I can tell you what the law says. You know, the law says after you finish your proposal for a couple of years after that, it's still going to show in your credit report. But I know people rebuild their credit far sooner than that. And now, right. Bill, you haven't finished your proposal yet, but I know you got a good story to tell here. Right. I still got a few years left, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, going to be fantastic. But uh, in my first couple of meetings with John, that was besides the embarrassment and the stigma attached to what I thought I was doing wrong, um, I was uh, mentioning to John Manson at uh, Sands that I'm worried that I'm never going to get credit ever again. And he told me uh, that he has a, a few uh, ways that he uh, knows that I can establish my credit again. And within a very short period of time, I had a, a, a secured credit card, mm-hmm. uh, which had a, a manageable uh, balance on it, which uh, I understood was just going to be temporary. And John and I have kept in contact over the last few years. And he mentioned to me uh, the next step is to to just pay your bills on time, and in a in a, a matter of time you will be able to apply for another card. And uh, I guess maybe a month, month and a half ago, it was that I had that date circled on my calendar that John told me to uh, make the call, and I called up the um, the credit card company and I said I'd like to apply for a credit card, and uh, held my breath. And uh, a few days later, I got a letter in the mail saying that uh, I've been authorized for a another credit card, my second one now, and it now has a $5,000 uh, credit limit. So within a very short period of time, I've, I've gone from owing tens of thousands of dollars to now having a, a non-secured credit card with a $5,000 credit limit that uh, I'm free to use whenever I want. Now, is there, has your attitude or has your, uh, how you operate with that credit card, is that different than it was before, Bill? Like, what's the change now? Yeah, no, I'm still very, very careful with my money. I'm just uh, very cognizant of the fact that uh, you never know what's going to happen in life. And I've now, the difference between now and before, I've got a nest egg of some savings in the bank for a rainy day. So I'm, I'm just being very, very careful and and it's good to be able to just go out and just spend what I want uh, within reason, right? You've been so honest uh, in this interview, Bill, about the the things that you're so grateful for and appreciative of and, and the, the action that you've taken. H- have you got any more words of advice for folks who may be listening and, and really what your story is resonating with them and they're hesitant to do something or to take action? Is there some advice you can give to those people? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to just be very honest. Um, John Manson at uh, the Surrey office um, literally saved my life. I don't know where I would be uh, today if I wouldn't have walked into his office and had that first initial conversation. So um, Sands and Associates uh, did exactly what they told me they were going to do. So my words of advice, if, if there's anybody out there that feels like their life is spiraling, that uh, their debt is out of control, uh, whether it's uh, for their own fault or within, without, uh, uh, in my situation where it was uh, with uh, not within my 
uh, ability to pay because of an accident, uh, you owe it to yourself, to your family, to make a quick call, to have a consultation, and just to uh, have an honest opinion of where you're at. And I think you're going to be very, very surprised about uh, where you are. Bill, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, tell us your story. It's so important. Any, you know, there's so many pieces that someone might hear and go, oh boy, that sounds like me, or that sounds like somebody I know that could, could get some help there. So, so appreciate that. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Uh, I'm Elaine Scott, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. Melanie Schroeder's on the line with us right now. So this is interesting about Melanie. Not only is she a registered professional counselor, but also a chartered professional accountant. And she uses both of those uh, skills to help people uh, plain and simple help them. She's a partner at KH Burnaby Chartered Professional Accountants. She's got a very good can-do attitude, which you're going to hear as we talk about uh, couples' financial issues. And we've all probably been in this position, good and bad, uh, where things have come up with our with our uh, partner, and they've been difficult conversations, or we or we could have used some help do it. Melanie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So what are some of the key financial issues that couples who come to you face? Uh, Probably, I mean, you know, they're fighting about money, but I think it's really just about, you know, one likes to save and one likes to spend. Hmm. The The yin and the yang. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's really just like that. You know, you get one that like gets that look on their face and they're like, oh, they just keep spending money. And what kind of advice do you give them? How do you give them a hand with that? Because that's a big one. It is really a big one. You know, it's about learning to speak each other's languages and and a little bit of compromise. Hmm. Compromise. (laughs) That lovely. Yeah, that, that word. And that, what, what do you mean by, by speak each other's language, Melanie? Because I, I see it in my uh, practice as well. I often have, uh, you know, couples come in and you can tell one couple is, or one side of the couple is kind of blaming the other person and they're just, they're talking at each other, not to each other. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you get that kind of this shared language? Are there just, you know, certain things, certain ground rules that you set to help couples talk about money in the right way? Definitely. I mean, we go through and we start learning about how to communicate and there's different counseling tools that we talk about and, you know, feedback formulas. And I really like to use nonviolent communication. I don't know if you've... That sounds good, but yeah, I, no, I don't know much not, about it. <laughs> <laughs> anything nonviolent good. Anything nonviolent that, that Marshall Rosenberg with the giraffe ears and it's a, a really great tool, but it, it is... And have you heard of the love languages? Mm. No, I don't. I no, let's tell yeah. Blair about the love let's languages. Explore, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, love languages. There's, and I, you know, I wish I could actually. I hadn't even thought about bringing it up, so I can't even tell you the author of it. But it's, you know, this the idea that there's five different love languages, and everybody speaks their own love language, and they they will show love in their own love language. And I actually believe that, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything, and and money is the same way. So we'll feel and do money the same way that we do everything else. So how we spend money is going to be different 
how we all spend money is different, right? So yeah. we'll talk about and do money differently from our partners. So it's about listening as a, as a counselor when I'm in counseling sessions. It's about listening to how one person talks about money and the, how listening to how the other person talks about money and then using the language that the other spouse uses and saying it back to the, to the first spouse. So I'm, in a sense, an interpreter in that situation. Hmm. So just trying to kind of bridge the, the communication gap bet- between them there. That makes That's a, right. makes a and lot then of sense. You, you're kind of like teaching them each other's language, and then as they start to see that, then they learn each other's language. Right. And my experience, Melanie, is, is I find as I speak with my clients, you know, sometimes our relationship with money is so deep-seated. You know, it goes back to our childhood and our parents and how were our <laughs> parents with money? Did we just not talk about it? Did we love money? Did we hate money? So I find people, they can bring a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, baggage to meetings with me. And sometimes that's just an individual. So I can imagine, you know, if two couples have very different upbringings, very different groundings from a money perspective, it can be difficult even to act as an interpreter between them. Is that, that correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you'll get somebody with boundary issues who will go out and they'll, you know, want to give all the money, you know, all of their joint money away. And the other person is like, what are you doing? Like, why are you giving all our money away? Why don't you ever want to keep any of our money? Mm -hmm. Or you'll get someone who has self-esteem issues, for example, and they don't feel that they deserve to have any money. And they're going to treat it differently than somebody who doesn't have that kind of feeling about it. That's right. So what are, have you got a couple of tips for opening up uh, a dialogue with your spouse to talk about money? So I'm listening to this interview and I'm thinking, oh yeah, I can see how that's playing out in my house. What do I, what do, I do then? Opening up a dialogue is really about being vulnerable and just saying, you know, here's how I feel about money. Um, you know, when you spend it, here's how I'm feeling and I'm not feeling safe. Because it really comes down to you, like when we're upset and angry, we're generally afraid of something. So if we can make it about that instead of blaming the other person, mm, then, okay. we be- yeah. Yeah, then we become vulnerable. And that's really the root of nonviolent communication is making it about our own feelings as opposed to blaming the other person for doing something wrong. I think I'd need to have the help of a counselor in the same room <laughs> at the same time, Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do sometimes, even me. Right? <laughs> is, there, is there some uh, um, good ideas or, or the best ideas around having a budget, having a budget system uh, between a couple that, let's say, have different issues or different ways of dealing with money? Yeah, you know, the best budget system I've ever seen is, is a simple one where you, you know, you have your joint funds that you pay for the household and you... You have things that you save for together, and then you each have some of your own spending money because you really need to have something of your own, right? Like, we all need to be able to go out and not answer to somebody about money that we're spending, something that we earn for ourselves. And then you also need to have something that you work on together because it's important for a partnership to have something that you're creating together. And and how about moving forward from there in terms of, so you figured a lot of things out at this point, and now I want to set some financial goals. I'm newly married, I'm reasonably young. How do I, what's the best way to do that? Setting Goal setting is, to me, you always start with the end result and then um, reverse engineer it and then create smart goals. So you want to create the specific, measurable, um, they've got to be, realistic and they've got to be the time-based so Mm -hmm. um 
just reverse engineer them. So you know that in 10 years you want to have a house. Right. What do you need? How much do you have to, you know, how much do you have to save every month? And also hiring a coach is a great way to do it. <laughs> We're yeah. going to, you know, your, to your financial planner. A lot of the banks nowadays also have financial planners right in the branch. So, you know, for a young couple, you don't always have a lot of extra money. You can access a lot of free resources there. Yeah, I think that approach, Melanie, I, I hope listeners really picked up on that, is, yeah, begin with the end in mind, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you wanted to get into, into real estate, for example, there's a big down payment that you're going to have to save. And if you, to use your words, you reverse engineer back, what does that mean per paycheck, even per day? Um, you know, suddenly it can become more real than just this goal that I'll never reach because it's so big and so daunting. So I think that's a very mm-hmm. smart way to come at it. It's a way I encourage my clients to think, too, is, you know, the end goal of this is not the bankruptcy. The end goal is you being debt free, having your credit rebuilt, you being financially secure and being able to, you know, potentially help others in your life. Let's work backwards from there. The first step, we got to cleanse all the debt away. But going forward, there's a bunch of things that you're going to do to be successful. So I think that's a great approach. Yeah, that's how I do everything. Right. When's the best idea if you're, so I've gone through a couple of your, uh, 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 your good advice, your tips, and they're not quite working. What's, are there some very specific clues uh, that will show up when it's time to get professional help? Well, I think that that's the clue right there, actually. Like, you know, these things work if you do them, and if it's not working, then there's some kind of a block, and it's usually a belief that you're holding. Either you don't believe you can do it, which is, you know, an indicator of an underlying belief that you need to clear up. Excellent. We've been talking with Melanie Schroeder, who's both a registered professional counselor and a chartered professional accountant. She's a partner at KH Burnaby Chartered Professional Accountants. If you'd like to get a hold of her or learn more about her or uh, get some good ideas, this is the website, kempsharvey.com slash Burnaby. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. Uh, you can book your web, uh, go to the website, sands-trustee.com if you'd like more information on the kinds of things that Sands and Associates can offer you in terms of money issues and debt. You can book a free consultation with one of the experts and start living a debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.